All right, let's uh, turn to Acts 16. I'm sorry, 15. Acts 15. What I would like to do tonight is, seeing we've read the whole passage uh, this morning, I appreciate the men who helped with that. Um, uh, we, I don't want to go through everything I went through uh, this morning, uh, but I want to build on that because uh, sometimes I think uh, Acts chapter 15 in particular, it is such an important doctrinal uh, passage and chapter in the Bible because it deals with the central question that has persisted throughout all of Christianity, which is, is anything else required besides trusting in Christ and the cross that he, uh, upon which he died? Is there anything else? And that's what we looked at this morning. The, the emphasis was that uh, there is nothing else. It is really just the cross. And some people try to say things like, well, faith, well, what about faith? You know, do you have to do anything to be saved? How many of you have heard that? kind of silly line of, well, you, well you, if you believe you're doing something to be saved, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible does not say you don't have to do anything to be saved. The Bible says it is not of works, okay? Faith, and faith is actually set contrary and opposite uh, to works. Faith and works are not the same. So some, well, faith is a work. What a dumb thing to say. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, obviously false. And so if, if anybody ever, if you ever hear anybody say, well, faith is a work, just turn them off. Just the conversation's over <laughs> because you're not dealing with somebody who's intellectually honest with the Bible. So uh, and so uh, so these works that we're talking about here uh, are, uh, of course, circumcision, the Jewish circumcision, as well as keeping the law. And that's I failed to mention that this morning. But one of the things that a lot of false teachers Uh, end up doing, whether it be people that teach that you're saved by being baptized or baptism plays a part in salvation, or whether it's the sacraments play a part in salvation, or uh, being a member of a certain church. For instance, Mormonism teaches that you must be a part of of the Mormon, uh, the Latter-day Saints, in order to be saved. You know, they don't, doesn't mean the same thing, but uh, but in, in all those cases, the dirty little secret that they don't tell you is actually in this passage. So the idea in this passage is these Judaizers were saying, all right, you have Gentiles, you have, you have believed in Christ, you believe in Jesus, good, but it's not finished yet. What you need to do is also, you need in verse 1 it says, you also need to be circumcised. But they didn't tell them the rest of the story. The rest of the story is you got to be circumcised and keep all of the laws for as long as you as long as you live until you die or else you're going to hell. And that's what Peter is saying. Whoa, whoa, whoa. this is a burden we haven't even been able to, to bear. And we were born Jews. That's the dirty secret, which is it's not you have to do the work that gives you entrance is you have to do the work that gets you entrance, and then you have to also continue to do every single thing that we tell you to do (laughs) until you die. And then maybe, maybe, God will let you into heaven. Uh, there's, There's hardly a better definition of salvation by works than that, right? And again, that's not the part they tell you out loud, or at least at the beginning. So, all right, what we'll do is we'll pray... And then uh, I just want to kind of walk through the passage very quickly and then uh, look at uh, Galatians 
as we see where it kind of overlaps with this. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity once again to look at your word. And I pray, Lord, please give me understanding and wisdom. Yea, fill, fill my mouth with the things, my, my heart, my thoughts with the things that your people need tonight. And uh, just guide and direct and instruct uh, help these things, these matters, these doctrines and their practical application to be just perfectly clear and in focus before us tonight. Lord, because we really want to walk away tonight with a, a greater understanding of uh, the importance of the gospel and what your word says, even as uh, this, this historical account of how the church dealt with this problem. And so give us understanding and wisdom. And I pray the name of the Lord Jesus Christ would be glorified among us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've established the problem that these men came down from Judea and, uh, and they said the gospel is not enough. And that's it's always been an issue, really. Uh, you know, and we've talked about this over and over, but you know, uh, the, we say, well, what do you have to do to be saved? And there is, a, there is absolutely, a, a, this is true, this is a fact, every person that is ever born again is born again as a miracle in a moment of time whereby God declares them righteous, right? And God forgives their sin, just like that. And the, at the very, the very flash of moment, the flash of time in which that person trusts in Christ and His work on the cross, at that very moment, that person passes from death unto life as a miracle of a moment. You, that's, that's sometimes what people call it, the miracle of a moment. But, um, but sometimes we get caught up on what we have to do that we forget that it's not about what we're doing. It's about what God has done. It's about how the, the gospel, the, what, that, that which we're trusting, Romans says that we, we have faith. We're exercising faith in His blood. But the reason why we can have faith toward God in, in the gospel is because there is a gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. And so really, God did the work. We are merely accepting and receiving and relying upon what God has done. God did all the hard part. Uh, and and it, it is but ours, as John chapter 1 says, to receive. As many as receive Him, to them gave He power. In fact, in, in John chapter 3, uh, another figure is used, a, a type in the serpent in the wilderness. What was required whenever someone was bitten in the wilderness? Do you remember? God told Moses to put a, to put a brazen serpent on and lift it up on a, on a pole on a rod above the people, and what does the Bible say? Whoever was bitten, if they but what? Looked. Well, look, looking is a work. No, it's not. Looking is looking. You're not doing anything. You're not, you're not performing any act. Or there's no ritual. You are actually putting your trust in what God said, and that's, that's essentially what salvation is. And so we see that happening. Now, keep in mind that these men, in verse 1, have not come from Judea by uh, being sanctioned by either James or the church. Now keep that in mind because we'll see that later. Verse 2, notice Paul and Barnabas had a disputation and dissension. There are times. There are absolutely times. And there are absolutely hills in the church that we must die upon. You know, the, the spirit of this age, of this time, is what? 
well, you know, they're Christians. You know, sometimes we, 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 do we not feel that temptation when we're knocking on people's doors? And, of course, everybody that answers the door, except for the one door we, uh, Bari and I knocked on. He was a Buddhist, supposedly. But except for that one guy, everybody's saved, right? Everybody's a Christian. And, and the, the temptation in this, in this world, in this time, is to just, well, you know, they, they say Jesus. You know, they believe in Jesus. You know, it's all, it's all good. That's what these people did. And they were actually peddling a false gospel, a damnable heresy. You see, there are some things that are non-negotiable, some things that it's worth arguing about, right? This is a disputation in the church. This is a, a dissension. Well, it's always, always division. Oh, no, oh, no, we need to do whatever we need. Hold on, hold on. If what is at stake is something like the gospel, we need to be arguing. <laughs> Can I get any? Everybody's quiet. We need to be arguing, right? Well, I mean, exactly. We've always believed in the same thing, right? It ain't changed. But uh, with, so there's some things to fight for. That's what Jude says to earnestly contend for the faith. That's a fight word. That's a fight word. And this, thank the Lord, Barnabas and Paul are not going to stand back and let heresy be brought in and the gospel be corrupted and perverted, as he says in Galatians. He's not going to allow it. They are not going to stand by and for peace, the sake of peace, allow it to have a place. And so they're dissenting. They're disputing. They are, they are standing between God's people and the truth of the gospel and the false teachers. And that's, that's what, that's what the, the shepherds are required to do. And you know what? Listen, let, let, me, let me tell you something. I know what the word pastor means. Pastor means shepherd. I know all that. But let me tell you something. If anybody ever does bring in, at some point, ever does bring in error into our church, especially, I mean, an error, you know, that's not, that's, you know, that can be big error, little error, you know. There's a lot of ways you can, but if we're talking about error concerning the gospel, I sure hope that there are some men, and probably even some ladies in some cases, that are going to stand between the error and not allow it to stand among us. I sure hope that's the case. And not just the pastor to do all the work, but there's some people to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Explain yourself. What are you, what are you saying? That's, hold on. That's not what the Bible says. And protest it and, and, uh, and stand up against it. I sure hope there, there's men in our church and there's ladies in our church that know the Scriptures well enough and are able to do that and are willing to do that. That's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. There's no problem at all with having pastors, by that I mean shepherds in the church, that are going to be paying attention to what's happening among God's flock and are going to stand in the gap. That's, that's good and right, and that's what Paul and Barnabas did. So they take it to Jerusalem. The church sent them on their way. We've already saw that. Uh, we've already seen that, rather, in uh, the joy that was brought to those people. Uh, false teachers don't have joy. Verse 4, they were come to Jerusalem. They were received of the church and the apostles and elders. They declared all things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees. That's a key point. Certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed. And that, that Ari and I were talking about that question. It says they believed, but what does that mean? Does that mean they were true Christians? If you read Galatians which we're going to read in just a minute, you don't get the impression that they're dealing with, with children, born-again children of God. You get the impression you're dealing with someone who is in name a Christian, but who is peddling a false gospel. Boy, that's a dangerous poison. 
you know, it looks like a glass of, of, a, of a beverage maybe that you would want to drink, but it has poison in it. It'll kill you. That's a dangerous thing to have. That's a dangerous thing to have. But apparently it was nothing new. In fact, that's, again, that's, as we said this morning, that's one of the features of a, of a satanic attack. It's a subtle and, uh, and clandestine satanic attack upon the people of God and upon the gospel. And so it says, uh, it says they, in verse 5 that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now, what we need to understand, and this is where we want to dig down a little bit, a little bit deeper. This morning I was talking, I was trying to make the, the comparison to this extra requirement of a work or a, ser- a series of works that were to be that were to be added to the gospel in order to be saved. No, you can't really be saved unless you do these things also, and Jesus isn't enough. Okay? That's what we talked about this morning. But let's look at this particular context. As we saw this morning, the difference between a Jew and a Gentile was the circumcision and the law. That was the big wall. That's what Ephesians says. The wall partition between us. The Gentiles did not have the law. They did not have circumcision. And they were not in a covenant relationship to God as such. But here, these Pharisees, who are believers, whatever that means, they apparently have accepted and acknowledged Christ as the Messiah. I assume that. They are saying, essentially, that in order for a Gentile to be saved, the Gentile has to become a Jew. Now, let me ask you a question. If every Gentile, because that, this is what is required to become a proselyte to Judaism, to leave heathen religion, become a Jew, to become accepted into the fold of God as, a, as a, the people of God, which, ironically, the Jews considered them to be second-class citizens even when that, they did that. But you remember in, in Matthew, it talks about how the, the Pharisees would cross, uh, would cross the sea. Would cr- I'm paraphrasing, but to make one proselyte. And once he's made, he was twofold more the child of hell than he was to begin with. That's what we're talking about. When, when you, they left heathen religion and entered Judaism. But if every Christian, Gentile Christian, that came to Christ was required to be circumcised and begin to keep the law, then there would be no such thing as Gentile Christians. There would be none. They would all be Jews first. And that's really what bugged the Pharisees, I think. I think it bugged these Pharisees, going to what you were saying, but are in the office. I think it really, I think they're, honestly, and we've seen this going back. Remember in the different places in Acts, where the Jews would just be totally inflamed and furious at Paul when the Gentiles started to believe. Remember that? We studied that. I think there's a racial component to this, where the Jews did not want there to be a people of God that were Gentiles and were not brought under the umbrella of Judaism. They, didn't, they were so antagonistic toward non-Jewish people, that even when those non-Jewish people believed in Christ and the Messiah that these very people are saying is the true, the, 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 the Messiah, the Christ of God, the anointed one. Even though these Gentiles were believing in Christ, it was unacceptable that there would be any Gentile believers that were not part of Israel, 
that kind of separate. They were, in other words, they wanted Israel to be the main theme, and that was not God's plan. That just simply wasn't God's plan. So they had loyalties to things uh, other than to the truth and to the Scripture. In other words, there, were, there was more at play here than just whether it was someone would be saved by Christ or someone had to, to do other things. There's, in other words, and this is often true, the false doctrine was being pushed and motivated by something else. And that something else was the the absolute intolerable condition that there would be a people of God that were Gentiles. And you're going to see this pop back up in just a minute. Okay. Look at verse 6. So the apostles and elders came together to for to consider of this matter. And there was, again, once again, you see it in verse 7, disputing. There's a good reason to argue. Peter rose up and said unto them, and I won't read all this just for time, but we saw from this morning that Peter's giving the account of Cornelius. And how Cornelius, being a Gentile, so what this is, I want you to see in Acts 15. This is a series of arguments. There are three points to this argument. Number one is Peter's argument. Peter's argument is, the first time that God saved Gentiles, I was there. God did it through me. I gave the gospel, and a whole bunch of Gentiles that Cornelius had gathered together at its house in a moment of time, believed the gospel. They had, not been, they had not been circumcised. They were not law keepers. They had not been made proselytes. And at that moment, God saved them. And to prove it, He gave them the Spirit of God with the evidence of that being the fact that they were speaking in tongues like we were on, in Acts chapter 2. So that's, that's an evidence of what God is doing here. Peter sets it forth and says, look, this is what happened. And here's the point Peter's making. They are, therefore, without being circumcised. And Peter noticed this at the time, if you remember from Acts chapter 10 and 11. Without being circumcised, without being baptized, without any work involved at all, they had been, Peter said in Acts 10, they had been made equal with us. They received the same gift of the Spirit as we have. They had been saved the same as we have. And they weren't Jews and hadn't become Jews. If it is required to be circumcised and keep the law to be saved, what about them? You see, here's, here's, the, here's the, the wonderful thing. That is an example of what I was talking about this morning, which is the power of God evidencing the truth of the Scripture. Right? And that power of God is saying, it's, it's, a, it's an example that's saying, this is real. This is the true way. And that which the, the Judaizers, these false teachers were peddling, was false. So that's point number one. Peter's saying, there in verse 9 he says, God put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now the Jews were already Jews, right? They had already been circumcised, had already been, you know, they had been following the law because that was their cultural, you know, that's what, that's what they were born into. So nobody questioned that the Jews had to trust and believe in Christ. The question was always the Gentiles. And Peter sets forth an example of the Gentiles receiving, now listen, equal treatment of the, with the Jews in the sight of God without any of that other stuff. That's a powerful argument. 
That's a powerful argument. Now, Peter had no idea in Acts chapter 10 all the implications downstream of what would happen. So he's just, in fact, even when, uh, even when uh, the Spirit spoke to Peter and those people sought him, you know, at the house of Simon the Tanner, Peter had no idea how important that event would be. He's just kind of, just like we do each day, we just kind of stumble along and, you know, we stagger along from thing to thing. We don't know what we're doing half the time, right? When we're trying to live for God, we're just trying to stumble along and do the basics and we have no idea what God is preparing for us, what he's doing now and how it will affect us later. But, it, but he says in verse number 10, now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? And, and we'll see this later in Galatians, but speaking of the law, verse 11, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Now, this is a key thing we have to understand, and people get this wrong all the time. Uh, some people, how many of you have heard of the doctrine of hyper-dispensationalism? All right. What that means is, even though we accept that there are dispensations, you know, you know we can quibble over exactly what they look like or whatever, but there are different eras in which God deals with people differently. There's no question about that, all right? But hyper-dispensationalists take it to the point where the people in the Old Testament are saved differently than the people in the New Testament. In other words, the people in the Old Testament were saved by keeping the law and by being circumcised, and the people in the New Testament are saved by trusting in Jesus. Wrong. You got to get rid of Romans and Galatians. You got to get rid of Abraham <laughs> because he believed before he was circumcised. You got to get rid of David because David, you know, he disclaimed that idea. But what Peter's saying in verse 11 is, even though Peter's a Jew, even though he's under the law as a Jew, he's not trusting in his own good works to save him. He's trusting in the grace of God, just like the Gentiles. You see, you see what we're seeing here? This is Ephesians. This is the doctrine of Ephesians. There is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. Right? That's what we're seeing. No difference. What God required of the Jews, He is requiring of the Gentiles. And that's really throwing them for a loop because there were a lot of Jews that thought, just like Paul did, Philippians chapter 3, that they were made right with God and made righteous by their good deed, good works keeping the law. And that's wrong. It's always been wrong. It was wrong in David's time. It was wrong in Abraham's time. It was wrong in Moses' time. And it was wrong in Christ's time. And that's, listen, that's a common misunderstanding from the Old Testament. That's exactly what Orthodox Jews believe now. They believe they are saved by keeping the law. Period. And they're wrong. It never was. That, that's... That's the whole doctrine and tenor of the New Testament uh, denies that. Okay. Verse 12 says that they, the multitude kept silence and Barnabas and Paul, and this is point number two. This is argument number two. Barnabas and Paul then taught about the gospel that they had been preaching throughout Asia Minor. No circumcision, no law keeping among the Gentiles, none of that. And yet, Look at what God did. All right, that's point two. Same as Peter. Again, look at what God has done as a testimony of the truth of the gospel. All right, verse 13. Now, this is point three. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon, 
hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of, out of them a people for his name. Now look at Luke. Uh, you don't have to look there. I'll, I'll just read it because you are familiar with Luke. I'm sorry, that's going to be in Matthew. I believe. No, no, it's, it's Luke. Luke chapter 2. This is when Jesus was born. Simeon was in the temple, and he took Jesus up into his arms when Mary and Joseph brought him in to do for him after the custom of the law. Chapter 2, verse number 28. He says, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. Now listen to this, because James keyed in on this. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Simeon, being inspired by God at that moment, gives a prophecy. And in that prophecy, he says that this child will lighten the Gentiles. Now, that's pretty vague, right? But what it does show is that God all along intended for the Gentiles to believe in this child, Christ. That's established. That's is, this is why James brings it up. So you have Peter and Paul are bringing up, we might, we might say, testimonial arguments. James is bringing up a scriptural argument. All right? Verse 15. And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written. This is Amos. After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. So he quotes then a verse out of Amos, and it says, see, Amos even says that there will be Gentiles called by God's name. That's amazing. All of a sudden you have this, this, what James is putting forth is this truth. The Jews are not the only ones who will be God's people. That's what he's arguing. But that is, listen now, is that not exactly what the Judaizers are trying to do? They were trying to make all the Gentiles become Jews before they would be saved. But the scriptures say there would be Gentiles, not Jews, who would be God's people. This is the argument being made. So out of the pride of this pharisaical group, these Judaizers, and just a note on that term, Judaizer. What does that mean? That means they were seeking to make the Gentiles Jews. That's... That's why, the, that's why we use that term, Judaizer. It's trying to make them Ju part of Judaism. That's why we call it that, because they were saying you had to be circumcised and keep the law. Okay. They wanted to make sure that the Gentiles would not be a separate group or be called after God's name. Only they believed that their relationship to God was only and ever unique and no one could challenge that. Okay. So verse 18 says this. Known unto God, James says, are all his works from the beginning of the world. So here's, here's what James is saying. James is saying, 
Now, now follow me. When God said this, he knew what he was planning on doing in the future. When he said this in Amos, when Simeon said this in Luke 2, he knew what was coming. Known unto God are all his works from the... In other words, God knew what he was going to do with these Gentiles. So he said this. Now, it might not fit what we think. And some of the Jews might have been afraid, well, if, if the Gentiles get, uh, come to Christ, what's going to happen to the Jews? They were probably, because they were, they were just obsessed with their racial heritage, all right? But we know... Even in this, we know that this, even where Amos is, is, uh, is in this passage, it deals with the coming kingdom of Christ. The Jews are not forgotten by God. But right now, or for sure, the Gentiles, are, God is bringing out a people for His name. So God knew all along this was, what, this was what He was planning to do, and He put it in the Scripture and gave hints here and there to remind them there will be Gentiles that come to Christ. Verse 19, wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. Now we might look at that and we might say, well, James just decided. Well, hold on. In his letter to the church at uh, Antioch, he says this in verse 28. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. You see this? So this, they were persuaded, was just perfectly the will of God exactly what God was telling them to do. Verse 20, But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. Now don't get confused. These four commandments, decrees, whatever you want to call them, they weren't things that the Gentiles had to do to be saved. There's a reason given in the next verse as to why they told them that. For... Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. So the reason there were four things. Don't eat things that have been offered to idols. Don't commit fornication, which that, that, was, that was also something that the Gentile, Paul was teaching the Gentiles. Don't eat animals that had been strangled. What, what does that mean? The method of killing was such that their blood was not, had not been drained, which was forbidden in Jewish law. Okay? They had to be, the blood of the animal had to be drained. So strang strangulation was not permitted. And number four, they were not permitted to eat blood. And that was a big thing with, with the Jews in the law. Okay, you have these four things. But the reason why these four things were given is because there were so many Jews among the Gentiles. That's why. It wasn't so that they did these things to be saved. It was that James wanted, did, did not want the name of Christ to be tarnished before the Jews if the Gentile believers were engaging in practices that they had liberty to do, but would be thought of as abominable to the Jews. Like, for instance, if you, if you were a Gentile and you invited a Jew, you, you had dinner with a Jew or something like that, or say there was a, in the church there were Jews and there were Gentiles, just like we've been reading in Acts, and they come together and eat a meal, the Jew, the Jew is not going to, he is, he is so hateful of idolatry, he is not going to partake of food that had been offered to an idol. He wants to know whether it had been or not. And 1 Corinthians deals with this. And so... 
And that's not only the case. What if they were serving blood? How many of you have, how many of you have ever been to a place where they eat blood? That's a thing. That is so revolting. <laughs> One time in Cambodia, these, um, our next door neighbor brought us some curry. We love curry in our house. But it had little black floaty things in it. It was a dark red, burgundy floaty things in it. Coagulated chicken blood. Mmm, that is nasty. <laughs> that is nasty. The Jews found it felt just like I did, but probably more. You see the problems? So if these Gentile Christians, oh, we believe in the Messiah of Israel, and they're doing all these things that are abominations to Jews, do you think the Jews are going to hear the gospel? No. So here's the lesson. Hear me. They had liberty to do some of those things. But... Because they were already saved. This wasn't to save them. They, they trust in Christ already. But they willingly laid aside their liberty for love of the Jew. So as not to bring any barrier, unnecessary barrier between themselves and them giving the gospel to the Jews. It would be the, essentially the same as Brother David going to Mustafa's house. Did I say that right? Mustafa's house and taking, you know, a pack of bacon as a gift. You just don't do that because he's, an, he's a Muslim. You don't do that. And it's not that Brother David doesn't have liberty to do that. He can eat bacon all day long. I hope he does. But to do that would be an offense to Mustafa and would hinder the gospel. You see, this is what, this is the, a living example of the principle. Listen, we should care about what we do before others. We should be cognizant and mindful about whether our actions are going to cause a stumbling block before them and hinder them receiving the Christ upon whose, uh, 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 whose name we, we carry. It matters. That's what James is talking. Now listen, verse 21. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him. This is the reason for the four commandments. He wanted to make sure there was no reason that the Jews would reject Christ. And you know, well, I just don't care what people think. Well, you ought to if you're a Christian out of love. You ought to. You know, there's probably some things at the grocery store you just shouldn't buy. Is it wrong to buy? Probably not. You know, one thing that our family's kind of careful about, it is not, listen, it is not wrong to drink Sparkling grape juice. It is not a sin to drink sparkling grape juice. It's not. Okay, what you say, if you get mad at me, I'm sorry. It's not a sin. When we got married, my mother gave us sparkling grape juice to take on our honeymoon. Now, she knew we didn't drink alcohol. She gave us sparkling grape juice. Now, I'm not talking about the de-alcoholed wine. There is a such thing. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about grape juice that they put carbonated water in. But they put it in a wine bottle. Right? They could put it in a juice box for all I care. <laughs> so it's not a sin to drink that. But the question that's always come in our mind, or in my mind at least, has been, what if, what if somebody saw us buying it at the store? Now, do I have liberty to drink it? Absolutely. I just don't care what people think. But I kind of do. I kind of do. So that's, that's just reason. Listen, this is a living example of... N- 
we are willingly laying aside our liberty, right? Limiting ourselves for things we could do out of love for other people so as not to cause a stumbling block to them. That's right. That's an act of love. And how, listen, how you apply that is, is going to be between you and the Lord. You just need to think about that and be cognizant of that fact. So they take this, they write this letter. James, James in the church there writes this letter. They send the letter to the, uh, um, to the church at Antioch, verse 24. Note this, for as much as we have heard that certain which, have, which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. Notice that. I want to make one point here, okay? And then we'll look, start looking at Galatians. Be careful of people that without sanction start peddling different doctrines that go around the established order that God has laid down. Be careful. Almost always, false teachers that get inside of a church, get inside of it and are doing things either without the knowledge or directly contrary to the leadership's uh, wisdom or or, uh, the leadership's uh, knowledge or they haven't consulted with the leadership, but they're going to parade around like they have. That's one way you can tell. If someone, listen, if someone comes and they want to do something in the church, but they want to kind of circumvent observation, you just better stand by. Something is amiss. You just better stand by. Because that's not what Paul and Barnabas did. Paul was an apostle. He had personal revelations from Christ himself on these things. And yet, what is he doing? He's submitting himself to the church at Jerusalem. You see this? God told him all these things directly. Well, he didn't have to go to them, and yet he did. Because it's right. And it, that's just, it just reminds us of the truth that as a body of believers, of children of God, all of whom have the Spirit of God, we are better and wiser together than we are independently. There is great safety in the church body. It keeps us from too much stupid as individuals. Say amen right there. <laughs> All right, let's look at Galatians. Chapter 1. We're just going to skim some of these verses Basically, what I want to do is, my goal tonight was just to, I I wanted you to go away from Acts 15 saying, I know exactly what this chapter is about. But Galatians is a parallel book with this subject. So what what I hope to do by looking at at a few verses, some verses in Galatians is to help you understand Galatians better in light of Acts 15. Okay, Galatians 1 verse 6. Paul says this, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ. Notice the grace, as opposed to works, of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Why was I using that language this morning? This is the reason. Adding to the gospel. Verse 8, For though we, 
But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed, damned, and sent to hell. Brother Ari, this is one of the reasons where it's like, I don't really think they're true believers. <laughs> Verse 9, And as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. So would you say that Acts 15 and the things those Judaizers are saying was a serious matter? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. This is serious language. This is not personal preferences. This is, it deals with the very core of what Christianity is what the truth is. Galatians 2, if you look at that. Then, after, then 14 years after, I went up to, again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. Um, let's uh, drop down to verse number 4. Notice what it says. And that because of false brethren, unawares, brought in, who came in to privily spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. What bondage is he talking about? He's talking about the law. He's talking about circumcision. To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour. See, Paul's contending, disputing, debating that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it's making no matter to me, God accepteth no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the circumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of, circum of the circumcision was unto Peter, verse 9, And when James, Cephas, that's Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship. In other words, Paul, we acknowledge that what you have been preaching among those Gentiles is true, is right. Okay, I have to skip down a little bit. Look at verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, and that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Acts 15. Galatians chapter 3, verse 2. This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Notice that. This is what I was talking about earlier in Acts 15. The power of the gospel. If it's true, it comes in power. That was real strong evidence of the truth of the gospel in Acts 15 in that debate. Look at verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. That overlaps Acts 15, does not. Chapter 4, verse 8. It says this, Howbeit then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? What is he talking about? Ye observe days and months and times and years. That's the law of Moses. Festivals, holidays, 
That's what these Judaizers would tell them. You have to get circumcised and you got to keep all these laws too or else you're not going to heaven. Verse 16. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They, the Judaizers, zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that ye might affect them. That ye might affect them. See, they were manipulating these Gentile Christians. Chapter 5, verse 10, look at that. I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I preach circumcision, notice, now this should be really clear now. If I preach, yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? It's almost like he's saying, all those Jews that hated me, if I just preached that you had to be circumcised, they would be happy. But I wouldn't do it. All those persecutions, all that jealousy and animosity in Acts 13 and 14, then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off, which trouble you. Well, that's mean. He's saying, I wish they were dead. <laughs> that's what he's saying. Verse 13, for brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not, your, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. That's what we saw at the end, right? curtailing our own liberty voluntarily out of love. Verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 12, and we'll be finished. Talking about the Judaizers here, he says, As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. They say, the Jews would say, Anybody who comes to the God of Israel has to be circumcised and keep the law. That's what they would say. 13. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law. That's what Peter said, right? But desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Notice this. You notice how Paul sets circumcision in contrast to what? In verse number 14. Um, verse 13. He sets circumcision in contrast to the cross. You know why? Because we're saved by the cross. What Jesus did for us, not what we have done. Amen? Hopefully that's uh, brought some additional clarity and help when you can see those two things together. Let's pray.